Lazarus lives. Lazarus dies. Lazarus lives again, and then the Jews try to kill him. And then Jesus washes some feet. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Welcome, like, subscribe, comments, and we are in the Gospel of John today, and it's going to be awesome. Oh, so good. So good. Part three. Part three of the not-synoptic gospel. That's right. Yep. Part 17 of the gospels, yes. I think, at this point. <laughs> yes. Wow. So much gospel. It's, hey, it's, you can't you, get enough of the gospel. Yeah. Man. Do you get the impression that God really wants to focus on Jesus? No, no. Like, he just, like, every, like all these books telling the same stories over and over again. Well, again, there's different stories, but, man, if you miss that from the from the Bible... Yeah. It was not God's fault, dude. I think it's awesome, like to like that we have four gospel accounts. Like, and if you study it all, it's like such a blessing because we get so many different perspectives and takes on the life of Jesus. Not like different interpretations, yeah. but different vantage points, and it's awesome. Yeah, so. yeah, I love I love the Gospel of John how it uses this really simple language from Jesus, but it's also incredibly dense. Yeah, very theological. Like, and, yeah, uh, as we preach through yeah. it, I'm like, man, there's some there. Like when you're getting deep into the discourses of Jesus, it gets really hard. To preach, oh, yeah. like really challenging. Well, I mean, like like we talked about last week, even just the sovereignty of God topic is very evident, you know, and so it yeah. brings up all these like awesome topics for church to grow in their maturity, you know. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. So I hope that you're enjoying it as you read, dig deep, spend time with God in this passage, man. It's just you're you're entering into the presence of God, right? Very clearly when you read the Gospel of John, yeah. as you are all of Scripture. But uh, we saw these different themes which we've covered in the last few weeks. We've seen faith, life, love. Light, Paul or uh, John here is the apostle of love, <laughs> and um, like the love doctor. I was uh, scared the way you looked at me when you said that. They're scary. <laughs> <laughs> um, but and then we also saw this like the heavenly and earthly realities in the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. This don't think about this water. Think about you know heavenly water. Don't think about this bread that you just eat and it perishes, but think about eternal, the bread of life. Yeah. So he's constantly doing that dichotomy, yeah. um, which is which points to the truths of who he is. Mm-hmm. Divinity of Jesus on full display in the Gospel of John. Man, you could not miss that last week. Nope, I am, I am, I am. And it's, I mean, yeah. it's just as strong this week. So, yeah. I mean, just over and over again. And then, we, as we said, we see this intimate look at the life of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. The book is sort of structured around these seven signs, especially the first half. Some people say that the resurrection is the eighth sign, the mm-hmm. ultimate sign, which, you know, I could I could go for that. Right. I wouldn't argue against that. Um, but seven signs in the first 11 chapters, and then we see the I am statements mm-hmm. throughout. Yep. So we've seen a few of those. So we're going to kind of finish the book of signs, which is the first half of the gospel, right. and then we'll enter today into the book of glory, mm-hmm. which is the second half of the gospel, starting in chapter 13. Awesome. So Very we'll cool. kind of touch on that, but let's get into the passage, man. Yeah, let's do it. Chapter man, nine. Man born blind. This was this was like the first, like kind of sermon I ever gave. And oh, really? I, yeah, I did a Gospel of John class when I was in college, and they he made us pick a section and teach on it. And this and you was pick this one. Pick this one. Yeah, man. What a what a great chapter this is. Mm-hmm. What a great chapter. There's a few things about it that are so interesting. So you have you have Jesus approaching a man who was born blind, mm-hmm. and never before has anyone born blind been healed. Mm-hmm. There have been blind blind men who have been or blind women, I guess, too probably, but blind men who have been healed in Scripture, 
but no one born blind. Right. And so he his situation and his viewpoint is, is hopeless. So a miracle for him would be kind of unparalleled. And Jesus does heal him. In fact, he says, you know, his disciples ask him, well, who sinned, this guy or his parents, that he's born blind? And Jesus actually says, no, this is actually for an eternal purpose. Verse 5. Um, he says, um, oh, no, verse 5. He says, verse 3, it was not that his this man sinned or his parents that the works of God might be displayed mm. in him. So there's an eternal purpose here. And then he says that I am statement in verse five, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Mm. So that's, we heard that in chapter eight as well. Right. So that's just a repetition of that. But this is going to be the sixth sign Jesus does where he's going to heal this man. And so he does this weird, you know, way of healing him. He takes some mud, spits on it, creates you know, dirt, mm-hmm. sort of reminiscent of the initial creation of man, right, out of the dust. And so he sort of is recreating his eyes, in a sense. He puts the, du- the dirt on his eyes, tells him to go to the Pool of Siloam, which you can also go to in Israel. Very cool. And you can get in there, actually. Yeah. Uh, you can get I have a picture of myself in the Pool of Siloam. Oh, wow. Looking very shaggy. Nice. Um, but, yeah, so he goes to this pool, he washes, and he's healed. And the rest of the chapter kind of reveals, it, t- it takes this picture of blindness, physical blindness, and turns it spiritual. Mm. And it's just a, f- a fascinating narrative. Mm-hmm. Because what happens is, verse 8 says, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. Mm-hmm. Others said, no, but he is like him. Mm. And he kept saying, I am the man. <laughs> so they're all debating his identity. Oh, was the guy who's blind, whatever. He's saying, That's me, that's me. You know, I think I would know. I was <laughs> blind my whole life. And they're debating it, right? And they're asking him, Well, how are your eyes opened? Right. So they they can see physically, but they can't see spiritually. They're gonna have a hard time comprehending this truth of his healing and who Jesus is. Right. So they they ask him who who healed you? And he says in verse eleven, the man called Jesus. Mm. So the man is how he identifies Jesus at first. Right. And that's going to change as well. But he explains the miracle. And then the Pharisees are brought in in verse 13. So they bring this man to the Pharisees. And, of course, it was a Sabbath when he was healed. Classic so, Jesus. So, wait, how, how could someone godly heal you on the Sabbath? That's mm-hmm. the question. So dumb. So dumb. But he, they ask him, you know, who healed you? And they ask him, what do you say about Jesus? And in verse 17, he says... He is a prophet. Mm-hmm. So he's gone from the man Jesus to the prophet Jesus. And they call his parents in and they want to get his parents' opinion on what was your son actually son actually blind? How did he get healed? They don't want to be involved. Right. So it's this whole ridiculous scene, right? And uh, in verse 24, they say to the blind man a second time, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. <laughs> So they show their blindness by condemning Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath. And the man begins to show that he has more clarity, Mm. better vision than they do. He says in verse 31, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Mm. So he and his lack of education and simplicity. He sees more clearly than the Pharisees do. And so he's cast out of the synagogue, which means he's essentially cut off from social and economic life. Right. I mean, that was a a death sentence in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. 
But Jesus then finds him and reveals his identity as the son of man. And he then fully realizes who Jesus is. He's gone from calling him man to prophet. And now in verse 38, he says, Lord, I believe. Mm. So Jesus is now Lord. He puts his faith in Jesus. Right. And then Jesus has this final interaction, which the end of this chapter is key because it unlocks really the meaning of the whole chapter if you missed it. He says, verse 39, Jesus says, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Mm. What's he saying? He's speaking about spiritual blindness. He's saying if you think that you see on your own, if you think that you're good enough, you're going to be blind. But if you can admit your need and your blindness, you're going to see. Right. And the Pharisees, some of the Pharisees near him in verse 40, heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Mm. Yep. So the fa- he's saying the fact that you don't admit your desperate need for me, mm-hmm. and that you cannot right. uh, accomplish salvation on your own, is exactly why you're condemned. Right. Again, kind of goes back to the Pharisee and the, and the tax collector parable, mm-hmm. right? God have mercy on me, a sinner. Right. That's the spirit you need to have salvation from Jesus. Mm-hmm. So in the, it, amazing story. I love that story. So powerful. In chapter 10, we see two more I am statements back to back. So we see I am the gate in 10.9. And so the idea there is that Jesus guards those who are his. He keeps out the thieves and the robbers. Mm-hmm. I say thieves. Thieves <laughs> and the robbers. And he protects his sheep. And he says in in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Mm. So this is, Jesus is the gate. He keeps out the ones who hurt, the thief, and he protects his sheep and gives them abundant life. And then we see another I am statement, very famous one, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Mm. I've never known a shepherd that would die for his sheep. Seems, <laughs> yeah. um, seems illogical. Right. But he's obviously making a big point here, right? I mean, that, that, that term shepherd is so loaded with context from the Old Testament. Right. Again, going back to some of the greatest heroes, Abraham, Jacob, David, Moses, no. David. No. Yeah. All shepherds. And it's a picture for leadership in God's, in God's people, no. being a shepherd. And of course, we see God identify himself as a shepherd. Mm-hmm. Psalm 23, right? the Lord is my shepherd. Right. Out of David's lips, the shepherd of Israel is saying there's a better shepherd. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm not the good shepherd. God is the good shepherd. Right. So when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, he's, he's clearly claiming divinity right. and claiming an incredible role. Yep. He's going to fulfill the Davidic promises, the Abrahamic promises, that he's going to be the leader that Israel always needed. Right. So it's just packed with, with meaning. Um, and then we see like, more strong statements from Jesus um, later on in this chapter. So look at, look at verse 26. So he's, he's speaking to the Jews again. They're challenging him. And he says, you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I yeah. give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Mm, more echoes of John 6 too. You know? Yes. Oh. Yeah, same idea there of those who belong to me hear my voice, recognize it, and respond in obedience. Right. Well, then how do you become a sheep? Do you become a sheep by obedience? Mm-mm. Well, no. Y- yeah. you're, 
if you're if you're truly his, if you're called by him, if you're elected right. by him, if you're drawn by him, right, then you will respond in right. faith to him. Yep. So yeah, powerful, powerful statement. And then verse thirty, he says, "I and the Father are one." Okay. Yeah. Very clear. Yes, that's a big yep. one. And of course, it's it's met by the Jews trying to kill him again. Yep. Even if the even if the Jehovah's Witnesses, even the Mormons, don't understand what. Jesus is saying the Jews did. <laughs> they knew it was not just like, "Hey, I'm a really great guy." Right. It's I am God. Right. And that's uh, it's too much, too much for them. Let's get to chapter eleven, though. Raising, raising of Lazarus, Lazarus, Lazarus. Yeah. Lazarus. Something like that. This is the seventh and final sign. Well. Other than the eighth sign, yeah, which is the resurrection, of, yeah, if you you know if you if you if you're about that, no, clearly we believe it's a miracle. Okay, so I'm not just <laughs> debating that. But what happens here is we see that Lazarus is sick, and Mary and Martha, who are Lazarus's sisters, mm-hmm. they send word to Jesus, right? Yep. He whom you love is ill, not the apostle John, not the writer of the gospel, but his buddy, just the guy he loves. Yeah. So he sent, they sent a word, and Jesus says in verse 4, he says, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Don't worry, guys. Lazarus won't die. That's what it sounds like. That's what it sounds like. Lazarus is not going to die, guys. Don't worry. And then, of course, Lazarus dies. Super dead. And in fact, if, listen to verse 5. I think this has huge import for how we view our own situation. So verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Hmm. So when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place (laughs) where he was. So uh, the love of Jesus is directly tied to him letting somebody he loves die. Right. Yep. I mean, that that shapes our view of suffering Mm -hmm. right there. Yeah. That Jesus actually will allow us to go through it, not because he forgot about us or because he hates us, but because he loves us. Yeah. And this goes against all the like prosperity preachers and all that who say you should never have to have any suffering. It goes against the gospel, yeah. He will allow you to go through that because it will refine you, but most importantly, it will bring glory to God. Right. And that's what's going to happen here. Yep. So they, you know, disciples ask him about Lazarus, and he says, Lazarus is asleep. And they go, oh, well, he'll, he'll wake up. <laughs> Jesus, uh, Jesus is trying to speak of his death, so he says it more plainly. Verse 14, Lazarus has died. <laughs> so you can't miss that one. You know, the guy said that wasn't going to lead to death. He did die. Mm-hmm. But verse 15, for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Right. Let us go to him. So I'm glad that, that Lazarus went through this. I'm glad that you are all mourning this because it's going to allow you to ultimately believe in Jesus. Yeah. It's not only a blessing to Lazarus himself and his family and to the disciples, it's a blessing to us 2,000 years later, right. this story, because it reveals something crucial about who Jesus is. Hmm. So he comes to the tomb, and we see another I am statement in this chapter that's so important. And just, again, so beautiful, great verse to memorize. But, but Jesus encounters Mary, and he says, your brother will rise again. In verse 24, Martha says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But in verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. 
and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Hmm. Do you believe this? Whew, I love that, man. It sends, sends chills down my spine. What an amazing statement. I am the resurrection and the life. All life comes through God. We see that in the first chapter of the Bible, obviously, right. to the very end. God is the one who sustains life, gives life, mm. and not just life versus death. Right. Not just life as a fact, but quality of life, too. Right. He's the one who resurrects. He is the resurrection. He's that closely identified with it. And so he goes to the tomb, and um, we see in verse 38, he encounters Mary as well, but we see in verse 38, he's deeply moved, and he comes to the cave that has a you know stone up. It's a tomb, just like what Jesus would end up dying in, right? And then he says, verse 39, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Hmm. So uh, in the King James, very famously, it says, but Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> so, so four days, he'd be, he'd be rotten pretty good. He'd be ripe. Yep. So they're af- afraid of that, but it's not going to stop. G- and, it, and that's an important thing that the four days, you know, the belief was that for th- the first three days that the spirit would kind of hover around the body mm-hmm. and then it would leave. So you're like, you know, mostly dead before that. Just to put it in Monty Python terms, <laughs> and then you're, you know, fully dead after that. But it's kind of, kind of, you know, terrible way to phrase it. But, but he he says in verse forty three, they open the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus has no ability to respond to those words. That's what's amazing, right? He's dead. No, he's dead. Right. So he calls to a dead man to make his his entrance back into the world. Yeah. Completely ridiculous thing. But don't forget, the words of God are effectual words. Right. So he can command someone to do something, to have a will, to make a movement toward him, and that person will come to life yeah. and then respond. Well, he, he is the author of life, the, the resurrection and the life, right? Yeah. So. And, and, and there's like a beautiful parallel with our own salvation stories, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That we are spiritually dead, and that God says to us, believe in me. Mm-hmm. And it's not that we kind of get intelligent enough or muster up enough will to believe in Jesus. It's that he gives us life so that we can put our trust in him. Yeah. In terms of how those things work in real time, belief and new birth are, are simultaneous. Right. Right. But logically speaking, that new birth precedes. It's what enables faith. Yeah. To of even course. exist, yeah, and I, th- I, you know, I, I feel like you can't read the Gospel of John and not see this again and again and again. Whether it's the woman at the well, whether it's Nicodemus and the conversation of being born again, whether it's you can't come to the Father unless you're drawn by Him, whether it's right here in the raising of Lazarus, it's repeated again and again and again throughout this Gospel. Yep, absolutely. <clears throat> and so, um, so we see Lazarus brought back to life, and it's it's shocking and amazing, and it's sort of the capstone on his ministry mm-hmm. before he enters into Jerusalem to be killed. But there's this little note at the end of this chapter of a conversation with those who are in authority and trying to figure out how to stop Jesus from stealing their influence and from causing the Romans to come and to destroy them again. Right, Every time a Messiah figure comes on the scene, mm-hmm. it leads to them being crushed by the Romans. Right. So they're, they're concerned about their own skins, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Caiaphas says something amazing. And again, this points to the, the power and control and sovereignty of God. Great illustration of it. 
So Caiaphas says, you know nothing at all, verse 50, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, Mm. not that the whole nation should perish. So what he's trying to say is it's better to kill Jesus and appease the Romans than for all of us to be killed by the Romans. (laughs) But what he says there literally is a prophecy, Mm. an unwilling, unwitting prophecy. Verse 51, it says, He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God. So what he's saying there, what I want to focus on is he's saying Caiaphas prophesied without knowing he was prophesying Mm. because God is that sovereign. He can take the evil actions of men, the evil desires of men to thwart God's plan and actually use those in the accomplishment of his plan and even put those words in their mouth. Right. It's it's amazing. It's yeah. amazing how comprehensive God's control is. Think back to Genesis fifty twenty. Right, yeah. what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God doesn't. There's nothing out of control in God's plan. Yep. Even something as evil and as atrocious as the murder of His Son, mm-hmm. that is fully in God's plan. Every part of it. Yeah. Amen. So how, so how can we be worried about our circumstances? Yep. And that's exactly the application for us. Every time we hear the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. The injustice on the cross that death what leads to our life and satisfaction and joy in every aspect and every situation in life. Amen. Um, Amen. So Jesus is anointed in chapter 12. We see the triumphal entry. There's this weird mention of some Greeks looking for Jesus, and then he kind of ignores them. But this points to the reality that the, the Jews are actually wanting to kill Jesus and to kill Lazarus to stop him, the Jewish leaders. Yep. And Greeks are simultaneously seeking Jesus. Mm-hmm. They're coming to him. Yep. And so there's a there's a we see kind of what's happening in Jesus' ministry. Mm-hmm. That he's drawing the world to him. They even say that, right, in verse 19 of chapter 12. Look, the world has gone after him. Mm-hmm. They're saying that's discrediting, right? Worldly people, the no, the unwashed masses go after Jesus. Right. But in the in the providence of God, we know that that's a a good thing showing the reality of his salvation. Yeah, and they I, you know I mean, the book of Isaiah like talks all about that. You know? Yeah, it's like they should know that they should see this as a good sign, but they are ignoring it for the exactly. Right. Which yeah. is what happens at the end of the chapter, right? Mm-hmm. He quotes Isaiah. Oh yeah, um, you know that this has to fulfill that they were going to be hardened; they're not going to believe. Yep. And he even quotes from Isaiah chapter six in verse forty of chapter twelve, which again Isaiah six is where God's glory is revealed to Isaiah. Mm-hmm. So this is the call of Isaiah, the here am I, send me, all that. The holy, holy, holy is Lord right. of hosts. All that is chapter 6. And he quotes from that. And then he says in verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Hmm. So Isaiah 6, who did glory did he see? He saw the glory <laughs> of the God of Israel, of Yahweh. Yeah. And Isaiah said, that's because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about Jesus. Bang. Yeah, how can you get a how can you get around that? Great, great passage to go to if you're talking to Jehovah's Witness. Honestly, mm-hmm. um, very hard, very hard one to respond to. Usually, they'll just say, "Read one of our pamphlets and and go away." That's what they say <laughs> to me. At least I don't know if that's just me. They just know that now, <laughs> I'm a troublemaker. Yeah, our uh, student ministries guys have Mikey Johnson had similar conversations. It's the same response. Yeah, pamphlets are good, but doesn't uh, beat uh, wisdom from God's yeah, word. Yeah, it's a great way to, like, yeah, I'm going to read your book when you can't answer my simple <laughs> questions. Chapter 13 is the start of the book of glory. So we have that first half closed. The second half begins. And this is just a focus on the personal ministry of Jesus in the last day of his life. Mm-hmm. 
He's with his disciples in the upper room. And so from chapters 13 to 17, we see the upper room discourse, mm-hmm. which, which ends with a prayer of Jesus to the Father. And we just see an amazing picture of the relationship there. But Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And um, he does this humble act, knowing that he's going to the to cross, knowing that he all things are his, it says, right? Knowing that he has all authority, he still serves his disciples. Mm-hmm. He still has a mindset to care for those around him. Amazing. Amazing. I would not be thinking about that at all. (laughs) But Peter is upset by this, right? You can't wash me. And Jesus says, um, the one, you know, he says, if you you don't wash, or or if I I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Hmm. So you have to be washed by Jesus to be his. And so he tells them to follow his example of service, to do what he has done. If he's the master, we're the servant, then of course, we should be serving each other right, if he right. serves us. And then we see another I am statement in verse 19. He says, I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. I am. So chapter 14. we gotta, we got to finish this up. Uh, chapter 14. And look, look at, uh, we see Jesus pointing to himself as the one who's going to make room in eternity for his disciples Mm -hmm. and they ask the question right of well how do we get there thomas says right we don't know where you're going how can we know the way Mm -hmm. how can we know the way and jesus says in verse six the sixth i am statement i am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me Mm. so that's that is i mean these are just comprehensive statements right we've seen jesus as the life He's the resurrection of the life. Here he's saying, I am the way and the truth. So he's the source of all truth, and he's the one who leads us to the Father. Hmm. He doesn't doesn't ask us to do certain things to earn his love, but he himself is the way that we can know the Father. No one can know the Father except through me. I think it's great that Jesus is clear about who he is. Yeah. You know, like in the world, just says the opposite. Jesus is unclear. It's Mm -hmm. unclear who Jesus was. No, he actually read the story of of him it's, he's really clear about who he is yes which absolutely. is great you know? absolutely we don't have to question it gives us confidence you know yeah and he's also clear about what we need desperately which is the holy spirit mm-hmm. so he he speaks a lot to the holy spirit and who he is in this last discourse and imagine imagine you know he's this is his last moments with you you're his disciple he's trying to impart to you the things that you need when he's gone mm-hmm. there's an urgency there's I think there's different times in this where it seems like he's leaving. Like at the end of chapter 14, he says, rise, let us go from here. Hmm. Some people take that as him. They're walking and then he's talking, you know, and he's like, hey, look at that vine. I'm the vine. Things like that. I don't think that's what's happening. I think actually it's just what happens whenever you go like with your family to someone's to a party or something like that. Hey, let's go. Oh, by the way, I need to tell you this real quick Hmm. before I forget. Right. Yeah. So I think that's what's happening here. He's trying to pack in more things, even though he knows that that hour is coming and he needs to move on. Right. But the, the Holy Spirit is a big theme in these chapters. Right. Who's, how are we going to cope without Jesus on earth? Well, the Holy Spirit's going to come. Verse 16, if you love me, oh, sorry, verse 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you. Hmm. That word in Greek is parakletos. The paraclete is often called. Yep. It means helper. It means comforter, counselor, advocate. It's a hard word to translate. There's a lot written on it. It's 
the one called alongside is kind of the idea of the word. It was used in the Roman legal system for a defense counsel or a defense lawyer. Right. Someone who's alongside of you to help you and to strengthen you. And our problem is that we're separated from God. And God helps us by sending the Holy Spirit. Obviously, Jesus pays the price, but the Holy Spirit comes to our aid, shows us how to be obedient, gives us new life so that we can trust in Jesus, mm. does what we are lacking. Right. And he's called the Spirit of Truth, verse 17, the Spirit of Truth whom the world cannot not receive. So he's a spirit of truth because he informs us, he teaches us. He Information is incredibly important right. in the scripture, and we shouldn't be scared of that. Right. Doctrine and truth is so important, and the, and the Holy Spirit speaks that to us. Yeah. And not only that, but he spoke it to the, the apostles, verse 25. He says, These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit's going to inspire the New Testament writings. He's going to teach us as we read them and illuminate God's word for us. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel. We'll see you next week for the last part of the Gospel of John.